this Christmas season, we're diving into a brand new series of talks called Fresh Eyes. And it's looking at the Christmas story in a brand new way, in a way that pulls it from fantasy into real life. We're going to look at how to deal with unexpected plot twists, how to change your life from the inside out right now. And we're dealing with those really big questions in life and understanding that sometimes the answer isn't a thing, but it's a person. Today, our series called Fresh Eyes. How many know that if you've been in church for any length of time, you've heard like a lot of Christmas sermons? Uh, you've and you've probably like read the Christmas story, and now at this point, like I know it already. And you could probably think that you could recite it, and you probably could recite it pretty well. But but what I've learned over time is that when I get so familiar with content, that's the moment, that's the time when I start missing out on some of the smallest details. And in the same way that Jesus cares about the smallest details of our lives, there are details in Scripture and in these stories that if we look at this Christmas story with some fresh eyes, I think we can get something new and something fresh out of it today. So if you're ready, say, I'm ready. And I feel so much better already because I'm using this mic. And uh, let's get into this. Matthew 2, verse 1. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About At that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. So if you haven't caught it already, these are affectionately known as the three wise men, as you might understand. If you're using your your phone today and you're using your Bible on there, the YouVersion Bible app, if you hit the more button, then events, you'll see Engage Church and all the verses and extra content is already loaded on there for you today. Uh, here's, here's the pop quiz question of the day. How many wise men were there? Just give me, let me see my answers. Three, three. It's a, yeah. Uh, <laughs> see what I did? I said three wise men earlier to put it in your mind, and then you responded, there wasn't three, okay? So the reason, why, uh, the reason why we think that there was three is because the wise men brought three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But what the honest truth is we don't know how many people there were traveling. Now, these uh, wise men were also known and, and, and should be, uh, and I'm going to refer to them from this point on as magi. Just turn to somebody and say magi. Magi. Now, Magi, uh, they come from Babylonia, they come from Persia, they come from the Mideast, they come, they come from all these different nations. And uh, so the best way that I can describe them for you is uh, essentially bureaucracy. They are bureaucrats. They are the people who ran the government. So if we go all the way back uh, in history to the Old Testament, if you're familiar, and you may not be, but if you, if you are with Daniel in the lion's den, that guy Daniel... He actually rose uh, at the height to be the chief of the Magi. And so what that was, they were, they were astrologers, they were philosophers, they, 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 they were very learned individuals, and it was their job to use any uh, science of the day, any ancient science of the day, so what we would might even describe as astrology or magic, all those kinds of things. It was their job to use those trades and those skills, wisdom, to discern what was going on in the world so that the government or the kingdom that they worked for could be informed. So these magi were studying, and they discovered that this new star was rising and that this new star was significant because it represented the person that the Jews identified as the Messiah or the Savior of the world. They also identified him as the next coming king. So these other guys were going, oh, man, there's a new king coming on the scene. 
there's, a, there's someone about to be crowned. He's going to be born. He's going to be royal. This is a significant marker in time. Now, when we, when we get into this and you realize that they used astrology and the stars to figure out that this is going on, we're like, oh, that's bad. And I would say it's probably not a great idea to, to practice astrology. But what, I, but what I do know is that God is bigger than our preconceived notions. And he knows how to meet us exactly where we are and to speak in a language that we understand to accomplish his purposes. So he's a, you're a lot more scared of it than he is. The Bible says this, Isaiah 40, verse 26. Look up into heavens who created all the stars. He bring them, brings them out like an army, one after another, calling each by its name. Because of his great power and incomparable strength, not a single one is missing. So they knew that there was a new star rising. Jesus spoke to these people in a language that they could understand to accomplish his purposes on the earth. The reason why, as Christians, we stay away from astrology is because we trust in Jesus. We don't trust in the stars. Jesus is higher, he's greater. Why would you want to read the stars when you could just ask Jesus? And he could tell you. But here, he uses it to accomplish his purpose. Isaiah, uh, sorry, Psalm 147 verse 4 says, He counts the stars and calls them by name. He has a way to communicate to each and every one of us. You might think that Jesus is afraid of you. He's afraid of your background. He's, he doesn't speak your language. He's not street enough for you. Listen, God can talk to you in any number of ways. He will speak your language. He's not afraid of you. You're way more afraid of him than he is of you. Now, church people might be afraid of you, but that's our problem. we got to get over that. Jesus isn't afraid of you. Why don't we dive into this story a little further? See, this was way easier when I was not holding on to. Pros and cons, right? Pros and cons. We're going to dig into the same portion of Scripture. Matthew 2, we'll start at verse 1, go all the way through to verse 11. If you're with me, say, I'm with you. Okay, we're about 40%. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. Verse 3, King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. You could understand why the current king was deeply disturbed that a new king was coming onto the scene. King Herod was put in place by the Roman government. So the Romans, they were occupying the land of Israel. They were possessing it. They took it over. And what they would do to appease the occupied people is they would put in uh, a, a king that wasn't really a king. He worked for them, but he got the title of king, and he got to be in charge of the area. But really, they were in charge of him, but people felt like they had their own king. It was like this whole like political mind game. So King Herod didn't have a rightful place as king of Israel. The only rightful king of Israel came from the line of David, and it just so happened that Jesus comes from the line of David. He had a rightful royal blood. So King Herod becomes deeply disturbed when he hears that somebody with rightful royal blood, with a star rising and visitors coming from the east, he, he starts panicking because this guy was literally a psychopath. He would kill his kids and his cousins, anyone that he thought would come and take power from him, he literally killed them off one by one. Like he literally eliminated them all. So you could imagine that in this moment, he's thinking one thing, kill all the kids. And you're not wrong. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked them, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? 
In Bethlehem and Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of, of Judah, are not, the, uh, are not least among ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. So he could have a timeline. How old would this kid be? Then he told them, go to Bethlehem, search carefully for the child. When you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star that they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Three gifts. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. Did you catch that? They were looking in the sky for a sign. They thought they saw a sign, they saw a star, so they followed it. Uh, not that long ago, I went to my favorite uh, Vietnamese place that gives you fortune cookies, Chinese fortune cookies at the end. And I got a fortune in my fortune cookie. And it said, the fortune you seek is in another cookie. <laughs> and I had to agree. I had to agree that I had to have. I was hoping every single one would say that. See, but I just, I just think we're more like the magi or the wise men than we ever thought. Because we're always looking for a sign. And if we're being honest, we've got some questions. We've got some questions about life. Now, if you've got kids, you're kind of used to incessant questions. My, my boys are six and almost four, and so at that age, it's always questions about all things at all times. I, I'm, I'm, my, and then also, any situation, the question why is also now a thing in my house. Why? And I just told Everett yesterday, it doesn't matter why. Like, I'm at that conversation, and it's not working. Uh, but there are just some times when I tell you something, it doesn't matter why I'm telling you. You just obey me because you're my child and I'm your father. And this is the right hand of fellowship with which I will hug you. <clears throat> I'll stroke your back gently. Last year I took Everett to an Oilers game. And it was really cold, so we decided to walk underneath. Like, you can go all the way underground to City Hall. We parked at City Hall. And we were walking through the tunnels. And I'm not going to lie, it gets a little creepy at, like, 1030 at night, uh, for a child especially. For me, I was like, ah, it's, we're fine. There's security cameras everywhere. And uh, <laughs> you can only walk so fast with a then, like, five-year-old. And he's like, I'm tired because it's 10 o'clock at night. And we're walking, and then... Uh, a few ladies walked by, and one was asking me uh, for directions, and another was asking me for some other things, and um, money. She's asking for money. And um, I didn't want to leave that out in the <laughs> unfinished with a, my five-year-old at the time. And Everett, as she just walks past, he's like, hey, Dad, those ladies look different. Oh, good. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, buddy. Yeah, yeah. They were just cold, so they're you know they're they're just down here. Um, hey, Dad. Yeah, bud. Why does she look so old? Is she one hundred? 
no, buddy, she's just cold. Walk faster, shut your mouth. It's like, you know, kids ask questions because they're trying to understand the world. And the truth is we ask questions because we're trying to understand our worlds. The Magi didn't understand the way we do. They didn't understand God the way that we understand him. They, they had questions about eternity. They had questions about God. They had questions about themselves. They had questions that were strong enough to cause them to travel across the entire world to follow a single star. So let me just ask you about your questions. Because we've all got questions. We all wrestle with things. God, why am I in the midst of this situation? God, why does my marriage look like this? God, why am I here and not over there when I thought I would be over there? God, why is there suffering in the world? Oh, you thought you're the only one who thought of those questions. God, why does it seem like everyone else can get close to you and I just feel like I'm on the outside looking in? Do you ever wonder what it would take to get an emotionally satisfying answer to your questions? Like, because we ask a lot of questions. Like, think, take, take the question of suffering. Why is there suffering in the world? What would it take for you to be emotionally satisfied with the answer? Have you thought about that? Is there, is there any answer that anyone could give? Because I, I think I would contend that if somebody could produce an answer that that powerful, that they would probably already have done that by now, right? Like, I don't know that it's, it's possible for you to be emotionally satisfied because even if I told you the straight up answer as clearly as I could, there's still a question and there's a wrestling that happens inside of every person of faith and it goes, man, if I have questions, am I actually a person of faith? If I'm compelled in this way and I'm processing through all these things, do I even have faith? Am I even a believer? And I would say, yes, that the questions that you are wrestling with and dealing with are, in fact, proof of your faith. Because you are willing to wrestle and you're willing to struggle and you're willing to trust and you're willing to believe and you're willing to search and you're willing to hold on. Even if it feels like you're looking for a star in the heavens that could just draw you forward, there's something within you that says, I need the answer to this question. So let me pose this to you today. Maybe the answer to your deepest question isn't an answer. Maybe it's a person. Maybe it's not an answer at all. Maybe the, what we have all been looking for is the same thing that those magi were looking for on that night when they saw a sign in the sky. They were looking for a baby Jesus. Isaiah 7 verse 14. All right then, the Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him or he'll be known by Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. I want to share a thought from somebody who's way smarter than I am that can help us process through this. Frederick Buchner is an incredible theologian, essayist, novelist, writer. And this is what he has to say on the matter. What we need to know is not just that God exists amidst the steely brightness of the stars, but that there is a God right here in the thick of our day by day lives who may not write messages in the heavens but who in one way or another is trying to get messages through our blindness 
as we move around down here in the knee-deep muck and misery of the world. Maybe the answer to your deepest questions isn't an answer. Maybe it's a person. See, the Magi found their answer. The answer to their equation, because they used mathematics to process where that star led them. The answer to all their maths, to all their arithmetic, to all their geography, to their travel, to their journey, to their search for answers was this baby crying, not much unlike the baby crying in the next room over. And I have to wonder when they saw that baby and they, they fell down, they, they knew enough. There was a sense of destiny on it. There's a sense of, wow, this is incredible. They gave gifts, gifts that would literally set them up for a lifetime. A, a gift from gold from a, from a visiting foreign official, I mean, that, that couldn't have been a little bit of gold. <laughs> Frankincense, myrrh, incredible gifts of oil and spices and, and all these things that they could mix together. There's this sense of pomp and circumstance around it, and yet it was a baby. I have to wonder if some of the staff, because there might have been three, or there might have been seven, or there might have been four, but they all traveled with large staff. They were government officials, and government does nothing cheap. So they sent twice as many people as required, because most of them had to be on a break at any given time. I'm not talking about the elected officials. I'm talking about the bureaucrats, all right? <laughs> I wonder if that assistant with the camels, like, really, we came here for a baby? Like, we, we traveled across the world for a baby. That's literally, we came here to leave gifts, and we're going to go home now? And we talked to this psycho king who wants to kill us all, so we're not going to see him for sure. This is not an emotionally satisfying end to my journey, to my quest, because there's a baby in a manger. For you, you might be saying, Jesus is not an emotionally satisfying answer to my quest because I know about him. Oh, you might know about him, but my question today is, do you know him? In the new year, we're going to be tackling some big topics in a series called Who Made God? We're going to dive into more of these really practical answers. But I think part of our struggle is that we've kind of framed God in our own way and we've maybe missed his personality. John 1 verse 14, talking about the word coming any time in this portion of scripture says word, it means Jesus. He says, so the word or Jesus became human and made his home among us and he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. But he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. You see, if the Jesus that you thought you knew isn't defined by unfailing love and faithfulness, then you haven't found the person that you were intending to see. Sometimes we put our own parameters about what Jesus should look like. Some of us really like Jesus to be angry. But Scripture says he was defined by an overwhelming unfailing love and faithfulness. Every miracle, it preceded every moment he was overwhelmed with compassion. So if the Jesus you seek is angry or he's mad and you like that because it fuels your anger, then I'm sorry to disappoint you, but that's not the Jesus that you think it is. Isaiah 9 verse 6 describes him this way. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders. 
and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. If you think that Jesus or God coming into your life brings chaos, again, we've got it out of order. He wants to come and bring peace and maybe said, oh, that's what I need. I need a God in the heartbreak. I need a God with me in the breakup. I need a God with me in the mess of my family. I need a God with me in my sadness. I need a God with me as I try and sort out this meaningless and meaninglessness that I feel. You need God in, 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 the, in the turmoils of your everyday relationship and the strangeness of love. You need God with you in the midst of t- uh, financial tension and God with you in the midst of a challenge. And that's what the Magi found. Emmanuel, God with us. So maybe the answer to our question isn't an answer. Maybe it's a person who can walk with us through every season of life, through every challenge, who can bring peace and counsel and wisdom and can bring a little dose of the miraculous every once in a while when we need it, when there is no way and we've tried to solve it on our own. That's what we need. We don't need more answers that will just placate us. We need a person who will walk with us, and that's who Jesus is. If you've been looking for a sign, you found him. It's this half-lit LED cross above you. (laughs) And it all points to a person named... Jesus, God with us. God with us is only a problem for those of us who are used to living with God at arm's length. God, we like to keep you over there because if we get you too close, you mess up my plan. You mess up my schedule. You mess up what I want to do with my life. God, I like to leave you over there because if you're over there, then I can kind of control you. I can kind of control this experience. I can control these outcomes. I can control how I want to relate with you. And God says, hold on. If you want to live with me at arm's length, that's fine, I'll be there. But we were intended to walk together. That's why I named my son God with us. Up close, personal, in the midst of your business, in the midst of the struggle, God with us. Can I tell you, I don't think it's a mistake that you've been listening to this. We all go through things, we all wrestle with things. But those things in your past, they don't need to define you. So if I could encourage you of anything today, take what you've heard, put it into practice, give it all to Jesus. We're here for you. If you want to connect with me, my personal email is brett, B-R-E-T-T, at engagechurch.ca. I'd love to pray with you. So thank you so much for taking your time to listen. Have a great week, everybody.